He's the legendary writer-director behind such films as Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, and American Gigolo. Paul Schrader joins me this week to talk about his incredible career, male anger, faith, love, and his spiritually brutal new work of art, First Reformed. This is Pop Culture Confidential. Welcome back to the show. I'm Christina Yerling Biro. So, as a cinema studies major myself and a passionate film lover, I will gladly admit that I am very honored to have had this opportunity to talk to Paul Schrader. Mr. Schrader's films run through the veins of film history, just as film history seems to run through his. Paul Schrader earned his M.A. in film studies at the UCLA Film School, and with legendary film critic Pauline Kael as his mentor, he became a film critic, writing for the Los Angeles Free Press. And then he embarked on his own film career. He's written four scripts for Martin Scorsese, Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, The Last Temptation of Christ, and Bringing Out the Dead. And with films like these, and American Gigolo, for example, that he also directed himself, he's often dealt with themes of masculinity, self-destruction, narcissism, and sex. The 80s were a self-destructive period for Schrader himself, and he seems to have dealt with many of his ghosts through his films. He says it took him 50 years to make a spiritual film. Schrader was raised by strict Calvinist parents where guilt and God ruled. They forbade him to go to the cinema. He didn't see a film until he was 17. But in his new film, First Reformed, he's dived into spirituality and God with all his might. And the film is a revelation. In First Reformed, Ethan Hawke plays Reverend Toller, a priest with a small congregation in upstate New York. He is overcome by grief stemming from a personal tragedy and has a growing doubt in God and faith. One day, a pregnant member of his church, played by Amanda Seyfried, comes to him to ask for help. Her husband, who's a radical environmentalist, wants her to abort their child. The movie grapples with faith, God, despair, politics, and hope. I've decided to keep a journal to set down all my thoughts and the simple events of my day. I will keep this diary for one year, and at the end of that time, it will be destroyed. I encouraged my son to enlist. It was a family tradition. Six months later, he was dead in Iraq. I was lost. My sins, the reading of the Lord. Praise be God. So how are you? Oh, I'm fine. No, really. See, it's been a while since we've talked. Even a pastor needs a pastor. Did you see the doctor? You need someone to take care of you. Well, I want you to be happy. I know that nothing can change, and I know there is no hope. Reverend Toller? Yes, Mary. Paul Schrader was 26 and destitute when he created Taxi Driver and the angry character of Travis Bickle. Today he's 72 when he brings us the young Reverend Ernst Toller, who's grappling with his faith in God and the world. I started by asking Mr. Schrader if there are elements of his own life's journey, from Travis to Toller. Was he Travis at some point? Well, I, I, I was Travis at some point. Um, I don't know if I'm Toller now, although I do know that Travis's anger 
has now conjoined with the existential dilemma of the human race. Mm-hmm. And so that, that was, you know, he once was a unique and kind of angry young man who suffered from ignorance. Now he's older and he suffers from intelligence <laughs> and he realizes that there is a kind of hopelessness. But have we learned nothing? Because there's so something so strong when you think about the desperate time that Travis is in with the Vietnam War and now the desperate time with climate and everything in your new movie. I, I think we have learned nothing. Um, I think, in fact, we've probably learned less than nothing in the sense that we are regressing into increasingly tribal behavior, you know, foreshadowing all across the world a, um, uh, a rise of ignorance and bigotry. Do you think there's a way that society should have dealt with, for example, male anger? Not really. I mean, I think it is part and parcel of, uh, you know, you're not going to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, it would be very helpful if you didn't provide young men with automatic weapons. Mm-hmm. Now, you're talking about the, this sort of journey of, of Toller, but... Do you feel that you write in the same way as a screenwriter that you did as a young man that you do today? Yeah, it's the same kind of evolution. You have a you have a problem, you have a metaphor, and you have a story, and you start employing the oral tradition, and then you start outlining, and then you start writing. Mm-hmm. And that's how I began, that's how I still work. I began writing on spec, and I still write on spec. Well, well, my husband's a screenwriter, um, and things, of course, well, he says that things changed very much for him when he became a father. I'm not sure if that's something happened. I mean, basically the times that he writes. (laughs) Well, the big thing that happened to me when I became a father is I had to stop writing at night. Right, that's what I mean. (laughs) You know, I had to to figure out how to write on the day shift, and uh, that took almost a year. Oh, really? Did it ever yeah. worry you that, that you would be less uh, of a writer if that you, when you had to constrain yourself with certain things? Uh, there was some anxiety, but, uh, you know, eventually you make the adjustments and you learn that you can write sober just as well as you can write drunk. That's good. Yeah. That's nice to hear. So in this movie, you delve into um, religion, which has, which has followed your work always, um, really. But uh, I'm not sure if you're a religious man today, but has your faith been tested? Well, um, obviously I was, I'm a product of the Christian Reformed Church, which is Westside Christian, Grand Rapids Christian High, Calvin College, uh, all Calvinist uh, denominations. And... Uh, and then, uh, you know, I, I spent uh, 50 years running away from that. And then I realized I was running, to- I was running toward it the whole time. Um, I am now Presbyterian. At one point, I was Episcopalian. Uh, so I still go to church Sundays. I like the way it organizes my week. I like the way it collects my thoughts. But I'm not sure I believe. You know, Albert Camus once said... Uh, I don't believe I choose to believe. 
And that's an interesting distinction. And what about Toller? Does he choose to believe? Oh, he more than chooses. He, he believes to believe. And what is he without that belief? Um, he knows what he is. He's, uh, he's a dead man without that. And, uh, and, he's, and he's becoming increasingly a dead man. One thing I'm fascinated about with your movies that I'd like to talk to you about is love and what love actually means to you. And I don't want to spoil the ending of the movie, but, but I'd like to know your definition of love, Mr. Schrader. Well, I'll, I'll spoil the ending of the movie. Okay, please. Um, <laughs> for, uh, first of all, at the end of the movie, do you think Reverend Toller is alive or dead? Um... For me, I felt very much that it was sort of a vision of heaven, that that's what, that love, that, that's what I felt. So, I, so yes, he's dead, well, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. well, that's pretty close to the truth for me, although I, I built the other interpretation into it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as he's dying, you know, he's been trying to talk to God for the whole movie. And as he's dying, God comes over to him, and says, Reverend Toller, do you want to know what heaven looks like? He says, I'm going to show you now. It looks like one long kiss. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. And I'm not a religious person, but I could see that that's something that he would feel or hope for. Yeah. yeah. So is that what love is to you? Uh, is that what heaven is, what one long kiss? Well, love, yeah, really, I'm, so. what is, I'm, lo- I'm looking, I mean, I think Travis was looking for love in, in his odd uh, form. Um, your, many of your characters are looking for love in some way, is my feeling. I, I, I uh, often confuse love with, um, with grace. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes they're, they're looking for grace, and they call it love. Mm-hmm. But uh, romantic love and Divine grace uh, can be commingled. In what way? You can experience God's grace through your ability to love another person. Now, having this, the incredible success that you had, I mean, everyone felt when uh, Taxi Driver came out that it really was one of the most incredible films ever made. How did that impact you as a young filmmaker? It made me free, you know. You can never plan to hit the bullseye of the zeitgeist. It's something that just sort of happens. But having that validation so early on freed me. I mean, I I know people my own age who are still looking for the validation I received in the 20s, in my 20s. So rather than be oppressive, it was freeing because I said, okay, I got my validation. I can do anything now. But that's interesting because for many people that would be an incredible burden to have to even be better than your first movie, which was one of the best in the world. No, I mean, I, I just feel that I, I was freed. You know, I, I wouldn't have to walk around feeling like a failure, even if I was. Well, that was very, very good thinking of you at that age. <laughs> and now you've hit the sort of zeitgeist again, I have to say, with this movie. Um, why Ethan Hawke, who really does one of the best performances of his career? Well, there's a certain physiognomy of these suffering men of the cloth. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it be Montgomery Clift or Claude Ledoux. Or, and, and 
Ethan has that physiognomy. And so I, you know, I was thinking of actors who look this kind of role. And he's just gotten to the, an interesting age where his face was still handsome but not pretty. Mm-hmm. And I thought he would be very interesting if he turned himself interior because he himself, his own personality is kind of uh, extroverted, kind of goofy. Yeah. And and so I, uh, you know, when I first met with him, I said, you know, we're going to take everything, your every impulse, and we're going to point it back inside. So uh, after I finished the script, I sent it to him, and he responded uh, within a day. Well, he seems like a very spiritual person as well. I mean, not knowing him. Well, he, he uh, well, he, you know, he has been to uh, Gethsemane, which is the Thomas Merton's uh, monastery in Kentucky. I, he's been there on three occasions that I know of. And his former father-in-law was one of the foremost um, authorities on Eastern religion. And he was raised in the church family. So, yeah, he he certainly knew this world. Right, right. I'd like to ask you a little bit about Bergman, because here in Sweden we have a big year as it is his centennial. Um, there's, yes. a, there's a lot to see in this particular movie, of sort of winter's light um, I'm guessing, Nattvardsgästen, as it's called here. Tell me a little bit how and if Bergman has, has been an influence on you. Bergman was the door through which I came to cinema. Now, as a young person, we were not allowed to see movies. So the first movies I really started seeing were as a college student. And... Uh, there was a, uh, near our college, there was a little theater that ran kind of softcore movies, Russ Meyer movies. Mm-hmm. And they were going out of business, and this theater owner had a brilliant idea to do a month-long Bergman Festival. And that was the first experience I and my schoolmates really had with cinema. And, uh, you know, Winter Light was the first not winter light, um, through a glass darkly, was, you know, the first time I had actually seen a movie where the filmmaker was talking about the very same things I had been studying my whole life. Mm. And I realized that, you know, there was not a divide between the sacred world of theological studies and the profane world of motion pictures, that they, in fact could conjoin, and Bergman was the artist who conjoined them, and so that was a a defining influence, not only on me, but a a lot of others. Mm -hmm. Right. And what about on this film in particular? I mean, films about men in the cloth have been something he's been very particular about. Um, Yes, the first time I've written one, it is, um, once I made the decision to do a spiritual film, which took me almost 50 years to make that decision. Then it was just a matter of watching the two dozen or so spiritual films that uh, had meant something to me and just sort of picking up influences, something from here, something from there. You know, the, the secret of the creative life is to 
diversify when you steal. Don't keep <laughs> stealing from the same, you know, 7-Eleven, they'll catch you. You'll steal from the flower Steal from the flower shop, steal from the gas station, steal from that little hot dog stand that nobody steals from, and and then put them all together, and people will think you thought it up. So that's what you did, and with Bergman as well. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I, I was thinking when you say that there's this old, lots of filmmakers that I talk to generally tend to be sort of pissed off at critics with that old trope. Well, you make a movie then. And that's actually sort of what you've done. You've built a whole career being a critic. Well, actually, when I was a young critic, when I was writing my, that book on spiritual cinema, right. I was a very arrogant young man. I thought I was better than filmmakers. <laughs> I was of that mindset of, we critics will tell you when you've made a good film. So I, I, I had a superior attitude toward filmmakers. Which is exactly what filmmakers think critics have. Yes, and and and, and sometimes uh, you know properly so. Mm -hmm. And it, it wasn't until I saw Bresson that I realized that I could actually possibly become a filmmaker myself. Okay, so that that's what informed your life. Well, I know that this is my last question, so I'll just ask you what your next project will be. Well, that's a good question. I'm, I'm starting to get close to it, but I've been very intimidated by this film. You know, um, I, I've said that, you know, I hope this isn't my last film, but if it is, it's a very good last film. So that's intimidating, just to think that thought. Mm -hmm. And so you, it makes you you'll think twice about what you're going to do next. But I, I think I, I've now seen a way to go forward. Mm -hmm. And do you know what it is? Uh, no, well, I, I sort of do, but I can't. Okay. Uh, the moment I tell you, it will disappear. Okay. Well, Mr. Schrader, you were saying that you weren't intimidated by um, the success uh, you had when you made Taxi Driver. I don't think you should be intimidated by this success <laughs> either. <laughs> so, so thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to Mr. Paul Schrader. First Reformed will be out on Blu-ray DVD in Sweden this week, and in the U.S. you can stream it on iTunes now. And thank you so much for listening. You can send us your thoughts, your comments, via Twitter, at PodPopCulture, or Instagram, PopCultureConfidential. This show was edited by Katrin Lundell and Tom Hansen. I'm Christina Jörlingbiro. Thanks so much for listening. See you next week. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, 
for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.